Jesus save Mormon Mental Health is a production of Mormon Stories Podcast and the Open Stories Foundation. All donations go directly towards keeping the podcast alive and towards supporting its listeners. To support the podcast, please consider a donation today at mormonmentalhealth.org. And thanks for listening. Jordan All right. So as you, as you, is this kind of the first relationship that you've been in, Ari? Or were there other time, other opportunities to date? Or Oh, Mike loves it when I talk about this. Um, so, no, I, I did a lot of dating. Um, it was kind of interesting. You know, I came out as gay and then I, I dated a little. And I, I was never really able to date a gay guy. They were always, you know, bisexual or, or like Mike, they were straight, um, but sort of willing to still date me. And um, so I had a couple relationships, um, but I like to mention that it's very difficult to be in a relationship with someone and be intimate with someone when there are a lot of parts of yourself that you're very unhappy with. And to try and open up to someone can be very, very difficult. And, you know, I'd already, with, like, with Mike and with other men that I dated, I'd sort of painted this persona that I'm 100% confident and that being trans has never been an issue for me. And so, so that can also complicate relationships and make it difficult to get close. Uh, um, Mike and I actually dated for a summer, and then I sort of broke things off, and and then a year later we got back together. Actually, it wasn't even a year. It was less than that, but um, we got back together later because uh, I think that I was you know, struggling a lot with, with being comfortable with myself and trying to find... A relationship where I could be open and intimate with someone and still somehow be comfortable with who who I was at that time hmm. physically speaking and what are your thoughts about that Mike you know she as she goes through this transition of breaking up with you and then getting back together like what how do you see that whole piece playing out as far as are you aware that that has a lot to do with her self-esteem or are you just feeling rejected <laughs> Uh, at the time, uh, there was definitely some elements of feeling rejected. Uh, what was her real motivation for breaking up with me? And I think a lot of my interpretation of it was that uh, she's very, very social and tying herself down to just one person didn't seem like something she was ready to do at that time. And I, I didn't really understand whether that had to do with just her nature or the issues that she was struggling with. Uh, I wasn't very sensitive to understanding that. I just knew that I was getting dumped. and <laughs> So I got through that as best I could. And then uh, right. very nice surprise when later she kind of came to terms with the, those things and was willing to try again. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about where you come from, Mike? Are you, are you Mormon as well? What, what's your background? Yes, historically, the family is very much LDS, uh, lived in Utah here so for many generations and always been very LDS on both sides. And is that something that you still relate with as far as yourself personally, or is 
do you consider yourself yeah. Mormon? I, I do. Uh, I definitely relate with it. I could say that for sure. Uh, it's very much a part of who I am. So let me ask this question of both of you, and then I promise I will get to the parents. I'm like putting the parents off for a while. <laughs> um, let me ask you guys about, I guess, two two things I'd like to address. One is, what would you say your Mormon journey has been related to this in particular with, with the whole trans um, process? And then along with that, also what I would call your spiritual journey, if you want to call it that. So in other words... I think there's somewhat, sometimes a difference, sometimes not, right? Depending on where you're at. But could you speak to how this um, maybe has affected your beliefs or your doctrinal beliefs or your spirituality or where you feel you're at now or where you feel you're wanting to head? Well, uh, for me, sort of religious-wise, it's actually been... For me, I feel like I've actually pulled away more if you're comparing me to, you know, the person that I was when I was service committee, priest quorum, you know, scripture mastery, knew everything. You know, I've pulled away from a lot of those aspects of of being Mormon. And I've actually tried to focus more on the spirituality of of being Mormon. Because I feel like a lot of the times we, or at least for me, I was in this world where I had just got caught up with all of these small commandments that, you know, I'd made this checklist and I was trying to do everything on the checklist and I was sort of forgetting a lot of other important aspects of being Mormon. And so for me, I've kind of come to this point where, um, you know, I want to to you know, do the things that, um, you know, like the Book of Mormon and, and the Bible talk about where, you know, where we want to be having charity and, and to love one another. And, and in order for me to do those things and to do them well, I had to, you know, get to a place where I wasn't trying to cut off my penis, where I was able to focus on other people as, you know, my family and my friends, other of God's children. And, and so my journey has been to be more spiritual and be a little less detail oriented when it came to things that I think are still very important, but things that almost kind of got in the way of me being healthy <laughs> or balanced maybe that's a better word and so now my spiritual side has grown a lot and I really you know I feel like I'm so thankful all the time to God for the life experiences that I've had because they may not be ideal to a lot of people. They've taught me so much about learning to understand and to love and ex- and accept all of God's children and, 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 you know, accepting them for who they are and supporting them in their, their life and their journeys. 
Yeah, so, that, that's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's kind of like the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? That we're always kind of in tension between those two concepts, and they both play an important role. And yet, if they're out of balance, or depending on the type of situation you're in, um, sometimes that can be a harmful process for people. Can I ask really fast, just from your perspective, Ari, uh, what what kind of response have you received from your ecclesiastical leaders? I mean, I know that in the bishop's handbook there is a, a there's a space in there that says that. I don't know the language exactly. I don't know if it's that they do not re- recommend um, sex transition surgery or something along those lines. And so I'm just wondering what your experience has actually been with church leaders. I think my dad knows what it yeah, says. The, I think the exact language is that they strongly counsel against it, I believe is the wording that <laughs> they use. Thank you. Um, and the thing that's interesting about about sort of the the way it's handled is it's very dependent on who your bishop is. Um, and I was really lucky. Um, my bishop was very loving and understanding and supportive. And um, after surgery, um, I didn't have any um, serious issues. The, the issues that we're actually currently dealing with right now are more the fact that Mike and I um, live together which is also not recommended by the church. It's, st- it's strongly <laughs> discouraged. I'm um, sorry, we probably shouldn't laugh about that, but that is funny how we focus on certain things that are discouraged versus so others. It is, <laughs> it's really funny how, you know, a lot of, of the focus has been turned to my surgery, where my bishop has not really been concerned with the surgery um he's been more concerned with us you know just living the, the other the more normal rules right and right. so so that's sort of been our experience and that's what we're currently dealing with okay that's that's really helpful that's really helpful to know that that's been your experience um because I know that I've heard of excommunications or things of that nature for sex reassignment surgery. So that's just really um, helpful to know that there's lots of different you know, ways that that, that ends up going down. Um, Mike, what about you? What about your... You know, Natasha... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, can I just add one thing? Because I really think that what Eddie said here is really significant and it comes as a big surprise to a lot of people. And uh, and especially if there are members of the church that are listening, um, I think it's it's good to understand. And and it is true. It depends a lot on your bishop because the bishop's handbook doesn't give you a lot of clear instructions. But in the case of our bishop and our stake president, um, they it says in the uh, handbook that if someone has uh, uh, SRS, if he has sexual reassignment surgery, that uh, there is a uh, a um, what is the exact word? They, there's a required disciplinary council where the person will come in and sit down with the bishop and talk with them. But in Eddie's case, no action was taken at all for that. And, and so, uh, and, and that's something that people always assume that, that, uh, you know, that the person that gets SRS is going to be excommunicated or something. It doesn't say that in the handbook. And that's not the experience that Eddie had, at least with our ecclesiastical leaders. Meaning that it's so disciplinary. sorry, you're going to ask Mike a question before. No, I yeah, no, that's fine. But meaning that 
Meaning that a disciplinary council wasn't even called at all. Is that what you're saying? No, this, the, dis, no the disciplinary council is, is mandatory. It has to take place. But all that means is that there is a uh, an interview, a discussion right, um, okay. with the ecclesiastical right. leader and the person that's had SRS. It doesn't say in the handbook like it does with a lot of other uh, things where it actually instructs the bishop on what action should be taken in different situations. Right. It doesn't say anything about SRS other than that you should sit down and talk with this person, basically. Okay. No, thank you for clarifying that. So, so the meeting happened, the, the council happened, but the result was not necessarily what many people would assume would be the result. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so, so Mike, same question to you as far as just your own religious journey, whether you want to talk about that from Mormon terms or spiritual terms. Uh, it's a very interesting question because it's still a journey that's very much in process. I haven't resolved it myself. Um, I've always been very much kind of uh, wanting to think through things myself and come up with my own uh, understanding. So that lent itself to our situation where I was able to just figure out how I felt about it myself without worrying too much about what other people would say. Uh, I like that you pointed out the the difference between the spiritual and the religious story. Um, for us, yeah, I don't I don't really know. There's a lot of feelings that I, I haven't been able to mesh. There's some things that are kind of opposites here where. I know what I want and I know how I feel and that brings up a lot of questions about uh, temple marriages um, probably not something we're going to be looking towards very soon or uh, the possibility of having children multiplying and replenishing uh, my family's concerned about that so that causes some tension where that's not going to be an option and uh, they're concerned about the eternal ramifications of that and I, I don't know how I feel about the eternal ramifications of that I, I don't have an answer yeah those are, those are really I mean you're starting to you know kind of bring up some of these very Mormon-esque type topics right that how we frame um, our view of the plan of happiness for example right and how the two of you fit into that and um, and I'm sure you are getting pushback from family members or friends or, you know, that this isn't something that we know how to talk about, I think, very well within that Mormon-esque mm-hmm. language. Yes. Um, and so can I just clarify something? Because I don't think I know the answer to this. Are you saying, when you're saying that you're not sure temple marriage is in your future, is that just because the two of you are currently living together therefore not following the worthiness protocol or are you saying that somehow Ari you're ineligible for being married as a woman in the temple like the church wouldn't recognize your womanness well uh, we'll let my dad because he's so eager to talk all the time (laughs) so the handbook says that uh, someone who's had SRS is not allowed to get their temple endowment so so uh, unless something changes uh, right now, uh, Eddie and Mike, if they decided they wanted to be sealed in the temple, um, for those for all your listeners that are LDS will understand this. That's something that would have to take place in the next life, and uh, and wouldn't take place here. Um, however, um, 
I've talked with a lot of people, very active members of the church that have uh, gender identity dysphoria that are are praying diligently that uh, that perhaps the brethren will, on a case-by-case basis, allow people, um, you know, like Eddie and Mike, to go ahead and get sealed in the temple. As far as I know, that's never happened, though. Okay. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's that not, um, they're not at a point yet uh, in the way that we currently perceive doctrine that, they're willing to recognize areas of women. You think, you think about the complications of this, and it makes sense. If you understand, uh, for people that haven't, uh, that aren't LDS or that haven't been to the temple, um, you know, and you were talking about gender roles earlier in the church, and and in the temple, the gender roles are very clear. And so, if you have, uh, if if the church were just to say, oh, whatever, go to the temple as whatever gender you feel like. Um, they feel like that that this is going to cause all kinds of confusion. So from their point of view, since they're working with their own understanding, which is very limited when it comes to things like this, it makes sense that they would say, you know what, let's straighten that out in the next life. For right now, um, you can go to the temple as the gender you were born at, or you can just wait. It just it, it, it is kind of logical from their point of view with the things that they understand that that's the decision that they would come to. Okay. So there is that that sense because uh, you're referring to the fact that that this is something that they are saying could be done in the next life. Whereas, so that would differ, for example, from currently a homosexual couple. We're not saying that they could seal in the next life. I I need to have a disclaimer here, Natasha. So I'm I'm sometimes I'm telling you what the handbook says, but when I said that, that was my own opinion. I don't think any church leader has said one way or the other. I've actually asked, and uh, what I was told was, Brother Hayward, you have all of the revelation that we've received, and we haven't received any revelation on that. Okay. And so I was giving you my opinion on that. The church has never made a statement one way or the other. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay, so um, before I move on to Ed and Keiko, then Ari and, and Mike, is there anything else that you would like to say as, as I kind of close out my segment with you? Not to, not that you can't interrupt your dad like he's interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to just to get even. <laughs> yes, I think, go ahead. I, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Mike, you as well? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, in case I forget or anything, I wish you two the best as you as you continue your relationship together and and um sounds like you're doing a really good job of supporting each other and um uh, you know, venturing on this road together that you're on. So that's really nice to see. It's an adventure. For sure. For sure. Okay, Ed, Keiko, tell me a little bit about yourselves. Give me, let's start with some of your history and, and your Mormon story. How do you come, I mean, your, your daughter shared a little bit, but why don't you okay. give us a little bit more? Yeah, I'll tell you some more. And Keiko, you just jump in if you want to jump in, which she probably won't because she's, she's shy, which makes us the perfect couple. <laughs> so the extrovert and the introvert. Been, that? <laughs> that's right. So we've been married for over 30 years now. We met at BYU, like Eddie said. Cake was a convert. She joined the church just before she came over to uh, BYU to go to school. Um, my parents are converts. I was only four, though, when they joined the church, so I was pretty much raised in the church. And uh, I've always been very active in the church um, and still am. And uh, as a matter of fact, when Eddie uh, 
uh, came out the first time, um, I was uh, I was serving in a bishopric at the time, and so I had access to all the church handbooks, and I poured over those. And then, again, I was serving in a different bishopric, actually a branch presidency, when she came out the second time. And uh, and so, again, I was able to have access to the handbooks, and, and I had a good relationship with the stake president, and, and uh, he was very understanding, very supportive. That's not always the case. And uh, we were very blessed. I don't think it was an accident. I think the Lord brought us here um, knowing what, we, what was going to happen and knowing that we would need that support. And, um, and so uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I work, at, I work uh, uh, mostly at home and, uh, and have been self-employed really uh, for the last uh, 13, 14 years, usually working very long hours on multiple companies. Uh, Keiko's been a stay-at-home mom. And uh, and full time homemaker, and um, uh, we met at BYU because I wanted to practice my Japanese and she wanted to practice her English, and uh, uh, I think that's <laughs> I think that's about it. Do you want to add anything? Anything? No. Any? Uh, yeah, is that no, is that that's enough? great. Do you have other kids, or is Eri your only child? No, we have another daughter that's uh, about two years younger than Eddie. And uh, and she's uh, uh, also very active in the church. She and Eddie both went to an LDS. We we uh, homeschooled them for a while. Then we put them into an LDS uh, school here in Utah when we moved here about uh, 13 years ago. And uh, she also went to LDS Business College and took some courses at BYU. And um, she has a boyfriend and a full time job and and uh, still lives here at home. Okay, great. Okay, so yes, if if you could start maybe kind of with your side of the story as far as, you know, you, you have this, the documentary begins obviously with um, showing Ari as a baby boy and the two of you starting your parenting journey and and just maybe start, you know, kind of letting us know when or if you noticed anything along the way or things that were being brought up by Ari that maybe you didn't know how to manage or didn't know what they meant or didn't even pick up on. Um, so maybe kind of just start with the childhood journey and then maybe go into the the more adolescent journey when she's being more vocal okay. about these things. All right. Um, I want you to know that this is something that, um, you know, I'm really pleased with the uh, video because this is something I'm very passionate about. I know there are a lot of, of uh, uh, people that are struggling with either gender identity dysphoria or, or some other uh, similar issue um, that has some of the same challenges. And uh, my wife and I are both very passionate about uh, looking for ways that we can help people. And uh, since the video came out, it's been great because it's allowed people to find us who had kids that were going through the same things, or sometimes it's an adult who's going through the gender dysphoria and struggling with it later in life and hasn't come out yet. And uh, being able to talk and help with, help those people is something that's very important to us. And so we're we're really grateful for the opportunity you've given us to uh, to talk about those issues here. Um, you know, Eddie was talking about the time she came to me, and I remember very clearly. And she came to me crying, and she said, "Daddy, I want to be a girl." And I had absolutely no idea what I was supposed to say here. Um, that's not something that that. You know, dads learn to say things like, uh, you want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about it, or to say, because I mm. said so. You know, we learn all these things, um, <laughs> but but I wasn't prepared for my little boy to come up to me and say that he wanted to be a girl. And so I, 
How old I, are I always, we looking at here as far as... She was about three, I think, at the time. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, because we were living in Nishifunabashi at the time. So I think she was about three. And um, and uh, I always told stories to my kids to teach them things. I'm, I'm a storyteller. And so I immediately came up with a story as quickly as I could. And I sat down and held her on my lap. And I made up this story about the puppy that wanted to be a kitten. And then later he realized all the wonderful things about being a puppy and he lived happily ever after. And I thought after she said, okay, daddy, and she went away, I thought, oh, that was brilliant. You're such a great dad. <laughs> and she told me later she was completely confused that it really didn't help her at all. But, you know, I think with parents, we're not, we're not usually prepared to handle something like this, particularly if we've grown up in a conservative community like the LDS Church. And this is not a criticism of the church. It's just uh, the way it is. Um, we, don't, we don't have exposure to a lot of things like that. And I was completely ignorant. I never dreamed that there was something called gender identity dysphoria. I'd never heard of it before. Eddie was the one that told me about it, and that was the first I'd ever heard of it. And so, um, you know, I just thought this was a phase she was going through. And uh, then she would come to me every now and then. We, we've always had a really good relationship. And, uh, and, and uh, she would come to me and she would say that uh, she said to me one time, she, and I think she was maybe nine or ten, and she said, she said Dad, I, I think I have a crush on a boy. And she was really hesitant. I think she thought I'd be mad at her. And uh, again, I'm scratching my head going, oh, wait a second, this is not in my book of dadisms, how I'm supposed to respond to this. And so I told her, I said, well, I said, you know, um, it's fine to admire somebody that you wish you were like. And, and she said, no, I, I think it's more than that. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, you know, you, you can't really do anything about your feelings. You feel, you know, if you like chocolate, you like chocolate. It doesn't mean you have to eat it all the time. And, and I, you know, I tried coming up with, and she seemed satisfied that it was okay for her to have all those feelings as long as she didn't act on them, which was, you know, what I, what I, uh, um, was trying to say to her. And then she came to me again later when she was about 12 or 13 with exactly the same conversation. And I told her exactly the same thing. And I thought we were doing good. Now, there were some mistakes that I made, Natasha, that I, I mentioned in the video. And I have to tell you, I did some really stupid and hurtful things just out of ignorance and not understanding. One of the things was I got after Eddie because she walked like a girl. I didn't know she was a girl. And mm-hmm. so uh, I told her, I said, uh, you know what? Don't swing your hips like that when you walk. You look like a girl. And uh, when she was about 15 or 16, she suddenly stopped walking like a girl. And I thought, well, it was just a phase she was going through. And uh, she uh, uh, dated a couple of times. She dated some girls. And, and I heard a rumor that she had a girlfriend. And I thought, okay, it was just a phase. What I didn't understand was that this was Eddie in her last throes of desperation as she tried to fix herself the way she thought she was supposed to be. I didn't know this. I didn't know the pain and anguish that she was going through. I was completely oblivious to it. And, uh, and when she came out the first time and told me, um, so she, she told the story a little bit. She, she didn't come to church. She was in the, in the, the priest quorum with the other boys. And uh, she was the leader there and, uh, you know, was very active. And then she quit coming to church all of a sudden, and I couldn't understand why. And uh, so one Sunday when she didn't come to church, I left my meetings and I came home. And uh, she was laying in her bed, and I said, hey, what's the deal here? And she said, uh, Dad, let's face it, I'm gay. I think those were her exact words. And, you know, in the movies when you see, when you see the camera, they do something with the camera where the whole world all of a sudden kind of 
pulls in really small between the behind the person that you're talking to like you're in a tunnel. That's kind of what my world did when she said that. And it all just kind of pulled in together. And I don't know if that makes sense, but that really is the way I remember it. And at the time, one of the things that went through my mind is you should have known because she told you when you were young, when she was younger, and you just thought it was a phase. And I was kind of mad at myself for, for being so surprised at this. Um, and I wonder, and the reason I'm telling you this is because if some of your listeners go through the same situation, they shouldn't beat themselves up about it. But they may be able to prepare themselves a little bit more by hearing the mistakes that I made. They may be able to avoid some of those mistakes. And, uh, and, and I, you were going to talk a little bit about the grief cycle. I really don't know what the grief cycle is. I know what I went through and um, and what Keiko and I went through because I told Keiko, and the first thing was it was denial. Um, Eddie was not gay, and uh, and she was just confused, and we were going to straighten this out. And then uh, it was, uh, okay, Eddie's gay, but we can fix her. That was the second phase we went through. And so uh, we kept trying to figure out what we could do to fix her so she'd no longer be gay. Then we went through this long period of depression where Eddie is gay. Um, life is, gonna, is just falling apart, and uh, what are we going to do? And then gradually we came out of this fog where we said, you know what? Um, Eddie's gay, but she's always been gay. We just didn't know it, and we were happy before, and, and she was happy. Well, we thought she was happy uh, before, and we just felt like, you know what? Let's just uh, – this is just the way it is, and it'll be okay. And uh, and it and it was okay, you know. We accepted her, and uh, and uh, we met some of her gay friends and became good friends with them. And matter of fact, one of them became part of our family for a long time, and uh, and we're still very close, and uh, we still consider him our son. And uh, and then she went to Japan for a while. She came back, and not long after she got came back from Japan, she told us that she wasn't uh, gay, that she was uh, a woman trapped in a man's body. We went through the exact same grief cycle. Eddie said it was easier the second time. Not for us. <laughs> you would think it would have been, but it wasn't. Right. And uh, we, we went through exactly the same cycle again, but we came out on the other side the same way, saying, you know what? It doesn't matter. Eddie is who she's always been. We're just learning more about her. And the thing that's been the most painful for me, Natasha, is looking back over my life and seeing all of the times that I said the wrong thing because I didn't know. Yeah, that's very that's very well said. And, and I think that's probably what's so heartbreaking about this, right? Because I think that uh, when I speak to LDS parents um, around these issues and see them going through these grief cycle stages that you actually describe very well, you know, denial, bargaining, um, depression, anger, all those kinds of feelings can be part of this. It, it's not because parents are bad parents. It's not because parents are bad people. Um, I think that there's a huge uh, disconnect. There's, like you said, ignorance that's really not their fault. There's, um, there's even, and I'd like to get into this a little bit more too. There's like, there's doctrinal perceptions from our church that we hold so dear, uh, like the idea of eternal families, like the idea, you know, that the fear of our child going down a road that maybe has been portrayed as, you know, Satan's temptation or same to, or, um, like, you know, Satan is, is fooling us or, or all these things that we kind of say, you know, to explain what we consider quote unquote sin, um, is so scary 
that it can really sometimes get in the way of, I think, the other piece that you're talking about, which regardless of what you said, at the end of the day, you and Keiko embraced this child of yours and made her feel like she was still very much a part of your family and that that wasn't going to change, which is so um, pivotal, I think, right, to her being able to really successfully transition into her adult life. Yeah, I think um, in some ways I I think I'm frustrated because I look back at the hurtful things I said to Eddie, like quit walking like a girl and stuff, things I said out of ignorance, not knowing. And uh, but I also look back and I and I feel really blessed. Um, Most people that are in my situation feel like they're in 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 a position where they have to choose between their child and the church. I've never, ever felt that way. I think I think the Lord has blessed me with an understanding so that, that to me, there is no, I'm in complete harmony with things. And, and you know, there, there are, uh, my, I'm a very solid member of the church, and, and I, I think probably you know that. And, and I'm very faithful, and, and, uh, and as far as uh, attending my meetings and everything, um, and I have a strong testimony you know, that the uh, leaders of the church are, are, are called of God. And I hope that's okay for me to say on the show. I don't know if this is, it, it, how Absolutely. many people are not LDS, This, is, but, this yeah. is Mormon mental health, and we can all okay. have our Mormon all right. story. <laughs> all right, well, that, that's my Mormon story, and I'm sticking to it. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, But I see no conflict with it. I, I do have church leaders, um, and, and for example, when Eddie first came out, and I was in the bishopric, the bishop actually said some things out of his ignorance that were extremely hurtful to Eddie, said and did some things that were very hurtful. And I didn't help much. I was still trying to figure things out myself. Um, however, we've got a bishop now that I think has, has had experiences that allowed him to understand this better. And I actually think the bishop we had that at time, he's in a different place now. And I think he's also had experience and he would handle things differently. I, I, I talk to a lot of people with gender identity dysphoria and, and same, same gender attraction that are, are, um, hurt by the church. They're feeling hurt because of things that have happened with church leaders. And one of the things that I, I tell them is I say, understand that when somebody gets called to a bishop, to, to be a bishop or a stake president or a general authority, it's not because they were perfect. Um, it's because um, they're growing towards perfection, and it doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. And the revelation that they receive, the guidance that they get, is still filtered through their own understanding. And uh, one of the challenges that we have in the LDS Church is that because we don't, we don't yet have uh, in our culture uh, an ability to really experience and 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 understand firsthand things like uh, same gender attraction and gender dis- identity dysphoria. It's really hard for the church leaders to have the kind of experiences that allow them to make sensitive decisions that aren't hurtful and, and painful um, to uh, people that are already struggling with things. But that's just the way it is, and I would hope that people wouldn't judge them um, because of that and in the same way that I would hope they wouldn't judge uh, people that are struggling with these issues and that we really all need to, and I think we are moving in the right direction to where we understand each other a little bit better. Thank you. That's that's really important. Is is Keiko? I, I know that you, you English is your second language. Is there anything that you would like to add to what your husband is saying as far as? Yeah, she actually just stepped away. Oh, did she? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think she got, she got tired of hearing me talk. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, here she, she came running back. 
do you want to do you want to add it yeah as far as just cake all your your experience as the mom you know in this and and i'm sure a lot of it's similar to what to what your husband's saying but i'd like to hear your voice as well okay um about when she was little i guess i noticed a lot that she wasn't she couldn't play with the boys because of how they play was different than her and uh you know boys always wants to play like a uh, Power Ranger type of thing, and them playing really fighting type of thing, which Eddie never liked it that way. She'd rather play with the sandbox and then used dolls. to play dolls and kind of tea party type of thing. That I noticed that she was really soft and, you know, personality always was just soft, like a girl. That's what I noticed. And, but, but in Japan, I seen the, TV show the transgender the the person who who was on TV but I never connected with I don't know how I can explain then make the connection yeah I didn't make a connection at all and then when when she came back from when she when she was I guess 19 18, 19. 19 then she told us about the transgender and then at that time we we watched it TV show, the 2020, they were doing transgender documentary, in which we watched, and then that time it really, really made sense, and then I realized that that's what exactly she has, and then it was really helpful for us. So, so like all of these things that you were noticing as a mom, it, you noticed them, but you didn't necessarily have anything to to correlate it with and as you educated yourself and and like saw this documentary then all of a sudden the pieces started falling together right and also the one thing that I um when Eddie was like 10 years old um I dreamed I I wrote it down in a journal I wrote it down that I had a dream that you know I saw the little girl exactly like a Eddie, boy Eddie, but she has a longer hair and looking up on the uh, the heaven. And then I was really concerned about her. I didn't, I didn't know her name, but but I I knew, I don't know. It, it was exactly it just like a twin, you know, Eddie twin. And uh, and I re- I remember. And then I I needed to leave or something. And I was talking to her and then make sure are you really okay. And I have to go, and so and and I remember that part, and then I wrote it down, and then later I guess I realized that already had the gender identity disorder. So, wow, what a neat spiritual experience for you to have that. That's really neat. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, so what, Keiko? What would you and and Ed feel free to to jump in as well? I mean, what as parents may be listening to this what would be some of your advice if if people are noticing either their child you know like have some of these differences that you notice that are gender non-conforming or as the child grows older into adolescence starts you know discussing things like like um Ari started to what what's some of the advice that you would have for parents going through similar situations well, one thing that I would say is if your little boy wants a Barbie doll for Christmas, just buy him a Barbie doll. 
buying him a GI Joe doesn't work. And I'm saying this from personal experience. <laughs> this is one of the things that I regret is that I tried so hard to make sure that I was treating my son as the boy that I believed he was, that, uh, you know, I didn't want him watching uh, Sailor Moon and learning the little Sailor Moon spinning around things. I wanted him to watch Dragon Ball Z or whatever that was called, and uh, which he wasn't interested in. And, uh, and you know, she, her little sister would get toys for Christmas that she just loved, and I insisted on buying her, you know, trucks and games and, and guns and stuff like that that I thought little boys should have. And, you know, I look back now and I think, that's so silly. It, it, it wouldn't have made any difference. And I would say to parents out there, well, this is actually mostly to dads. I don't know that, that moms would have, maybe some of them would, but most of the moms, I think, are more sensitive to this kind of thing. But I think it's a culture thing. Mike is agreeing with me. It's a culture thing with guys that we think we're supposed to do that kind of thing for our sons. And you know what? It, it, it's, I was worried that if I bought her a Barbie doll, I would turn her into, um, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's gay or something like that. And I, I didn't, I was ignorant. I didn't understand. It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. And, uh, and if, if you're, if you're sons and, and I guess the same thing would be true with your daughters, if they want to do something that you don't feel like identifies with their, with their uh, gender, don't make the mistake that I did. It's irrelevant. Um, you're not going to turn them into something. Uh, in Eddie's case, she always was a woman trapped in a man's body or, or a little girl trapped in a boy's body. I, wasn't, I wouldn't have turned her into that if she wasn't. There are some little boys that maybe you buy them a Barbie doll, and then by the time they get 12, they want a football, and that's just because that's who they were. It just doesn't matter. I guess what I'm, I'm not really saying this very well, Natasha. What I'm trying to say is, is don't overthink things. Don't worry about things. And especially don't worry that your behavior is going to turn your child into something they're not. Instead, let them take the lead. Let them tell you what they want to do and, and the kind of presence they want. And just get them those things and then watch. And, and, and they will let you know. And, you know, had I done that, Eddie might not have had to wait until she was 19 before she was able to tell me what she was struggling with. Thank you. Keiko, is there anything that you would add to advice for parents who are struggling with these same issues? I I have a lot of things I like to say, but it's hard to say over. Well, regardless of how you feel about it, I I think you're doing an excellent job of of being quite clear and, and very understandable. Well, feel free to jump in at any point. You want to say something, Mom? No. Uh, she said she doesn't. She doesn't have any comment now, but she'll jump in later. Okay, sounds so. good. Yeah. Um, so, what would you say to a, a, a question I get a lot? Is um, well, isn't a child isn't isn't a child too young to really claim? you know their own gender or to really understand their own um orientation in a way that that you can really support that so for example uh i have a family who has a five-year-old child who wants to already wear this is a a five-year-old biological boy who wants to wear girl clothes and 
um, you know, is, is already very much wanting to um, act the gender role of the girl. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, they're too young to know. And why, why allow that? Or why push them into that? Or, you know, these kinds of concepts about children not not being developed enough to understand their own situation well enough to make these types of decisions. That is a really difficult question, which Eddie wants to answer. <laughs> um, to interrupt. I, <laughs> I have to agree to some, to some point that, you know, there is a lot that, um, you know, we might be too young to know. But then there's a lot of things that we just sort of innately assumed about ourselves. Um, and I just want to bring up my friend um, who is gay. You know, when he was younger, there are home videos of him wearing cute little jelly shoes, walking around saying, where's my dress, you know? And, um, you know similar behaviors to, to me, but, you know, he has not transitioned. He is, you know, has a scruffy beard, wears boys clothes now, and, you know, his parents let him wear jelly shoes, and it did not turn him into a transsexual. And so I think regardless of whether or not um, you allow us to make, or, you know, parents allow us to make any sorts of decisions on on whether or not we are boy or girl, simply allowing us to behave the way that we feel is comfortable for us allows us to at least test the waters, you know? So we play with Barbie dolls and we wear girls' clothes and then years later we, fig- we figure, you know, that was great, but we actually prefer to do manly things. Or, or you know, maybe we start out with G.I. Joes and, and Legos, but then all of a sudden our Legos start having dramatic love triangles and <laughs> and everyone's crying and it's just, and then in the end it's all happy. Like, regardless of what you do, we're going to try and be ourselves. And buying us action figures, forcing us to wear boys' clothes, that doesn't stop us from being who we want to be it if anything it just sort of kind of gets in the way and is a little bit annoying because we have to be so creative so you you could say that we're too young to know what we want and to some degree that is true but simply allowing us to make these small choices it doesn't make in my opinion that large of a an impact for the rest of our lives. Um, and I think that kind of goes along with uh, the mental health profession and how they say, you know, we shouldn't be diagnosing children at the age of five with something that they might get over. Just let them play out and be who they want to be. And eventually they will get to a place where they're confident to say, yes, I'm ready to transition or, or not to transition. So Keiko just, uh, um, she wanted to make a comment through me. <laughs> she said that uh, that another thing along with what Eddie's saying, 
um, is that the other the other thing that can happen is if you are if you know if you like what I did you know buying the GI Joe refusing to get the Barbie doll doing things like that I'm sending a message that uh, that what Eddie wanted there was something wrong with it and so uh, because of that she's she's likely because she still had this need that wasn't being met and she's likely to meet that need in secret on her own um, which creates a pattern of her not sharing with me her feelings because they were rejected. And that was the biggest mistake, I think, that uh, that I made, the biggest regret I have. And that's what I would say to other parents. This is a really tough question, Natasha, as you know, and that's probably why you asked us. But uh, but it's a really tough question because I know how the dads are going to feel, even if they're listening to this and they're thinking, my son keeps asking for Barbie dolls, just like Eddie said. But they'll have a really tough time uh, getting the Barbie doll. All I can say is it doesn't matter. Relax and uh, and just get them the things that they want because it's not going to make any difference one or the other. And the only difference I can see it making is that you will make it easy for them, easier for them to come and talk to you about their feelings if the feelings like that need to be talked about. And like Eddie said, it could be that they play Barbie dolls for a while and then one day they get tired of it and they and they want to go play army with their friends. And that may happen. But if it doesn't happen and because you didn't reject their feelings, they're going to be able to share those feelings with you. And isn't that what you want? Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think I think what I'm hearing is, you know, follow the child's lead. Um, yeah. in, in what I think are reasonable requests, even if we have to face our own anxieties or, you know, tolerate our own reaction to these non-conforming gender stereotypes of what boys and girls should be doing and that that will allow them the space then to develop in a safe enough environment to really be able to, um, assert themselves in a healthy way as soon as possible. Yeah. Okay. All right. What what advice would any of you have for those of us in the church, such as bishops, stake presidents, relief society presidents, young men's, young women's leaders, primary presidencies, or teachers? What what role can we play as a community to better be able to? Um, support and help families that we find in these situations. When I first went to my stake president and after Eddie had come out the second time and, and uh, had said that she was, uh, you know, a woman traps in a man's body, which is the way I explained it. When I came, when I came to my stake president, I asked him for counsel on that. He told me something that I think I shared in the video as well that I share a lot because this was so profound and it really is something I will never forget. And uh, what he said to me was, he said, Brother Hayward, you need to understand that on Judgment Day, when we stand in front of, of the, the judgment bar, we will be judged by a perfect judge that can actually feel the feelings we felt when we made the decisions we made. And there are very few people, even fewer priesthood leaders, that ever felt the feelings that Eddie felt. And that felt the feelings that someone with same gender attraction feels. And so my advice to uh, any church leader, actually any member of the church, is to, is to keep this in your mind all the time. That is the reason we don't judge. 
We don't judge because we're not capable of feeling the feelings that one of our brothers and sisters felt when they made the decisions that they made. Only God can do that. That's why only God can judge. And uh, I really took this to heart, and I've tried hard never to judge uh, anyone. Um, and and I see people judging Eddie and seeing other people in the LGBT, uh, in the uh, um, uh, gay community that are members of the church that get judged. I see that, and it hurts me because I, 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 I can understand a little bit more about it now than I did at that time. And uh, and that's what I would that's what I would uh, advise members of the church and leaders in the church. I would also advise people that have these feelings, uh, either same gender attraction or gender identity dysphoria, or or some other type feeling like that. I would advise them, and 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 with and and uh, and I've said this to to some of the other people that have come to me and have been hurt by church leaders. I've said, please don't judge the church leaders because they're also struggling with things that we don't understand. We've never been in their situation and we've never felt the feelings that they felt. A lot of times if you've struggled with, for example, same gender attraction, it's something you're very familiar with and it's hard for you to understand somebody who has absolutely no concept of being attracted to the member of, of, of the same gender. And so we can't feel the feelings that they feel when they're making the decisions they make on how they're going to, uh, you know, how they're going to communicate with us and, and, and things like that. And so even though sometimes it's extremely painful and it's, and it's hard to do um, because you're hurt, um, I, I would just say try to not judge them. Try to understand that, that they're not perfect and that, and that they're really doing the best they can. And, you know, this is one of the other things I've told people is, is I had somebody who... Uh, who was really hurt by by someone in their in their ward who had said something hurtful and i told them i said you know someday that person is going to understand and it may not be in this life it may be the next life and someday they're going to come to you crying and ask for your forgiveness because we all have to we all have to have certain experiences whether in this life or the next life in order for us to understand to the point where we become Christ-like. It just isn't something that happens overnight. And I think if you keep that in mind when someone hurts you and you can picture in your mind them growing to the point someday where they come to you and tearfully ask for your forgiveness because now they understand why it was hurtful, it makes it much easier to have charity and to forgive them. Thank you for that. Um, seeing as how you, you know, you're obviously saying several times that you're very much own your Mormonism and you're an active member and you, you know, you, you don't, you even said you don't doctrinally see conflict in this. Can you help explain that as far as how you do see this from a doctrinal perspective and how you come to terms with that in your own spiritual life? Um, when you are trying to reconcile, you know, Mormon doctrine with your daughter's experience. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Cause that's something I really did want to talk about. Um, first of all, for me, the church is, is not a, the church is there. I I separate in my mind that the church and the members of the church, the church is just an organization. It has no opinion (laughs) and it's the church members, I think, and the leaders of the church that sometimes, um, we get a little bit, uh, offended by, uh, in certain situations because they say something and we feel like we disagree with what they said. And, uh, 
but it's not the church that said that. It's an individual that said that. I think that's important to understand. And the individual who said that, just like I said, um, it could be that they have growing to do so that they would understand not to say that. Sometimes we have growing to do so that we would understand what they were saying and we wouldn't have a problem with it. And we really don't know which one it is, although we're always really sure we do. But uh, but I, I think that's really good to understand. As far as, as my, you know, I... I am very comfortable with the idea that we're not, even though we were commanded to be perfect, you know, the scripture, be, be therefore perfect, um, they didn't add, and I mean right now to that scripture, it's a process that we go to, and perfection really is a journey that we're on. We don't have to be perfect right now, and I think understanding that makes it a lot easier for me to uh, look at the things that are going on and to accept a lot of the things. So uh, I'm not offended by the things that are sometimes said by uh, church members. And I'll give you an example of one. I had, I had uh, one member of the church that knew Eddie when she was a little boy and, uh, or a, a teenage boy and really liked her. And, uh, and then uh, uh, we moved out of that ward and I hadn't seen him for a while. And then I had a new calling where I was seeing him every week. And he came up to me the very first week. I don't know if you've heard this story, Eddie, but... Uh, but uh, um, he came up to me and he said, how's that boy of yours? And, you know, this is only like six months ago. And I kind of smiled and I said, well, I, I said, I don't have a boy. I have two daughters. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, yeah, I have a real problem with that. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't have a problem with it. I love both of my daughters a lot. And, uh, and so then he, he started going on and, and said some more things. And then it was time for the meeting to start. We sat down. And I got to tell you, I was steaming. <laughs> I hit it well. And I was very civil. And I was trying to be loving and charitable and follow all the things that I tell other people to do. But I was really steaming. <laughs> right. And uh, I came back the next uh, Sunday. And he comes up to me again. And he goes, and he, he goes, so... Now, was your boy, was your boy ever sexually molested? Because I understand that that can have, you know, consequences like this. And he goes in there and he started saying that. And again, you know, I handled it with as much charity as I could. And uh, I sat down and I was just steaming. This went on for about three or four weeks. And I started thinking in between Sundays, all of the things I was going to say to him the next time. And it wasn't going to be pretty. And uh, I had prepared quite a lecture for this brother and I and I and he came up to me the next week and he says, "Okay, now I was reading an article about this and he started in and instead of going into the tirade that I'd been preparing all week, I stopped him and I said, "Brother, I want you to know how much I appreciate how you care for my daughter because every week you come up and talk to me about her and I can tell that you really love her." And how did and that go? change the change that I saw in his face, it was dramatic. Hmm. And after that, he came up to me a couple of times and he, sa- and he would say something and ask some questions. And he would go, I hope you know that I'm saying this because I care about your daughter. And, uh, and, uh, and then he would even come up to me and he'd say, I hope what I said earlier didn't offend you, which was so uncharacteristic of this brother. He offended people as if it was a hobby. And for him to come up and say that to me, I could tell I'd really made a difference. I am so glad that I did not give him the speech that I prepared. Hmm. And I think this, is, this was a lesson that, that the Lord taught me 
on how I should handle these situations that I hope I can always remember. And sometimes you get mad and you forget things, but I hope I can remember this thing. And I'm sharing it because I think it's something for everyone to think about. And I think everyone could see how that was a much better way to handle it. You can probably imagine the things I'd been preparing to say. And that what I said was, it wasn't me talking and it was a much better way to handle it. Thank you for that. I mean, that's a great, that's a great example of what I like to call differentiation which we, are, I think, all need to, um, like you said, on our journey to perfection, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult when, especially when um, in these circumstances, you you know, your papa bear comes out, you know, your mama yeah. bear comes out, you, you want your child to be accepted and be loved and not be, you know, either stereotyped or rejected or judged incorrectly or you know all those things that that are very painful for us as parents to watch our children having to go through um so thank you for that example so just like you said you know that you make some kind of doctrinal things kind of make sense for yourself um let me just throw one out that i've made for myself so this is natasha um doctrine not not official doctrine um and just see what your thoughts are. But, you know, when, as I read through, for example, um, the family proclamation and, and some of the principles around gender, um, to me, it just, uh, this fits so well into that type of framework because we're talking about at least most of the trans people that I have met talk about, like your daughter does, knowing something is awry from a very early age an age of innocence in our doctrine. And, um, and therefore, you know, just like somebody can be born with um, physical problems, um, cerebral palsy or uh, limb missing. I mean, you know, this, this is a mortal existence and things happen. And we also know that people are born into this world with um, gender physical traits that are not necessarily fitting one gender or the other. Right. So that happens as well. So we don't live in this, um, existence where I think any of us would say that things are maybe um, as they would be in the in, in in other realms. If I'm making myself clear, I guess. Um, yeah. So for me, the the trans issue f- is actually much simpler than um, I think for the homosexual members of our of our church because I do feel like there's this very kind of neat doctrinal box that this can fit into. Um, am I making any sense? Absolutely. I'm going exactly where you're going. So so can you speak to that or how you yeah, frame that? Def- or, and you oh, probably will do a better job than me. So, Well, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you, because I've gone down this exact same path and it led me to a good place. And, uh, you know, when Eddie first came and told me I'm a, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, I, I started looking at the scriptures and I read the proclamation of the world and it said that gender was an eternal characteristic. And I thought, okay, now wait a second, what does that mean? Because I had always thought that meant that your gender that you were born with was an eternal characteristic, but that's not what it said exactly. It could be interpreted that way, but I wasn't sure. I actually um, 
you know, I, I went to my church leaders to ask for guidance on this, and that was when I was told, you have all of the uh, revelation that we have. There isn't anything that we're holding back from you, and so we cannot tell you one way or the other. <laughs> and so I was left to figure this out. And then as I was doing research, I did some research on pseudo, uh, pseudo-hermaphrodites. I had no idea what a hermaphrodite before. I thought it was people that lived in some country in Africa. And so uh, I, I had to educate myself, and uh, and a pseudo hermaphrodite, and I'm not a, I'm not an expert on this, but from what I understood, it was somebody who was fully functional. They were born fully functional in both genders. And so I'm sorry, Jerry uh, Ed, Eddie says that I should be saying in both sexes. So she's more um, she's educated more up on, on her things. Yes, yes, she is. So so they're they're fully functional in both in both sexes. And uh, and so they basically have to choose. They could either father children or they could give birth. And um, and when I read about that, I thought, aha! Now wait a second. If gender is an eternal principle, does that mean this person was a uh, a pseudo hermaphrodite spirit and they'll be resurrected as a pseudo hermaphrodite? I don't think so. I think that it was some kind of a of a birth defect. And if you could be born at both genders and have to choose. How would you know if you were choosing uh, the one that you were supposed to choose? I mean, it's like there's there's it, it to me that when I read about that, that's when I, it opened up my mind to the possibility that wait a second, Eddie could really be right. Up until then, I was just trying to help her, and I really wasn't understanding. And after I read that, I thought, wait a second, Eddie could be, really be right. And I will tell you right now, my feeling is I believe that Eddie has a female spirit that was born. In a uh, in a male body, and that it was some kind of a birth defect, like you can just have sometimes. And I fully expect her to be resurrected as a woman. And I think I say this in the video, but but other people have argued with me, and they said, "No, you know, read the proclamation of the world." Eddie's confused right now, but she'll be resurrected as a man. And I t- and and they were surprised when I said to them, "I hope not, because how confusing it would be for me." on resurrection day for me to have this young man come walking up to me and say hey dad it's me i was resurrected as a man but i'm okay with that because i would not be okay with that i would be looking for my daughter hmm. and i don't find that this is in conflict with any church teaching i think it's it's going out a little bit and and trying to understand things that we haven't received revelation on but it's not conflicting with as far as I can understand, with any revelation that we've ever received. Yeah, thank you, um, Barry. What are your thoughts about that? Can, because I know. Can that, I say? Yes. Can I say one more time, Natasha? Yes. My disclaimer. Mm-hmm. So I am not. A, I am not qualified to speak for the church. I'm giving my opinion here, yes. and uh, and so that was my understanding. And I expect that I will probably learn more things uh, in the future and have other understandings that I can share at that time. And same but they goes all be for me. Yes. Okay. That's, that's why I said right. gospel via Natasha <laughs> versus official doctrine. Yeah. So I mean, these are just things that are that are interesting to think through. But I know that also that. You know, the spectrum of gender is wide, and, and there are people who, you know, obviously, um, and, and even attributes, you know, when, like when you think about the attributes that we oftentimes talk about Jesus, they tend to be feminine attributes in our culture, right? Humble and loving and, you know, these nurturing types of words. Um, and we tend to have these masculine gender terms of aggressive or, um, you know, dominant or strong or, you know, so 
there's women who like to feel strong, right? And there's men who like to feel um, meek, you know, or so, so I know that there's an issue with, with how we talk about gender anyway. So Ari, do you want to set your dad and I straight as far as maybe what we're missing out of this conversation as we think we're so doctrinally smart? (laughs) Well, I think that, I mean, everything that's been said so far has been, you know, it sounds right to me. Um, But I mean, when I did chime in and kind of correct my dad, it was uh, a lot of the times, you know, we're trying to discuss things and things that we're trying to say get lost in the lingo or the term, like the vocabulary. And, you know, what I was trying to uh, distinguish or define was that there's a difference between gender and sex. And when we're, whenever we're talking about those things, you know, it's, it's important to, to make sure that when we're talking about the biology that we're using the term sex and when we're talking about the, you know, the spirit or the culturally accepted behaviors or, you know, just sort of how you feel that we're using the word gender because sex is biology and, and has a whole nother, you know, package that goes along with it from gender. And I think that's really useful to, to, you know, make that differential before you dive into a conversation that's as complicated as this one. Agreed. Agreed. And so I think that maybe a better way to frame what we were trying to say is that, that at least your father and I don't find it doctrinally um, incongruent, the possibility that somebody could be born into a certain sex, but feel that, that, identify with with a different gender that that, right. that because the family proclamation talks about gender being the eternal principle not sex mm-hmm. okay all right i think that in just the few two and a half hours that we've been talking <laughs> <laughs> um i have covered all of my notes <laughs> far as what I wanted to to ask you all about. Um, so this, I guess, is where I just want to kind of open up the, the, the time to you to either give closing statements or, you know, am I not asking something that I should be asking? Um, or just kind of, you know, give your last thoughts to, to the audience that you hope to reach or, you know, any of those things that, that you'd like to close out with? Um, for me... I would just like to say, um, sort of my message through a lot of the, you know, the documentary and through presentations is kind of, um, you know, we, we sometimes get really focused on the end goal, whether it be from a spiritual or religious perspective or, you know, when I was first dealing with these feelings of, or, or trying to define what it is to be trans, you know, I thought, I saw this goal of having to one day have SRS in order to be happy, and it just seemed so far away and so impossible. We sort of get wrapped up in these goals, and we forget a lot of, of sort of on-the-way-there stuff. And, um, and so my message is, 
you know, when we're, when we're trying to take spirituality and religious um, points into consideration that we also need to remember that, you know, perfection may be somewhere down the line, but hyper-focusing on, on what it takes to be perfect will really distract from what you need to do today who you need to be, who you need to love, you know, don't, don't distract yourself by saying, you know, getting caught up with, I need to be the perfect post-trans woman, or I need to be the perfect son or daughter of God, like focus on, on the journey and what it takes to be happy and to be loving and caring and just the best person that you can be in the moment instead of in, in the future. That's my message. Thank you. Thank you, Ari. Okay, I and you probably won't be surprised that I have a message too. Um, <laughs> I so I, I have a message for, for two messages. The first message is to the parents and the priesthood leaders at, who uh, who have in their sphere of uh, of influence or stewardship somebody that struggles with these types of issues. And uh, and what I would say to them is is t- it just reminding on something I said earlier. Accept the fact that we cannot always understand the feelings that they have, and therefore the decisions that they're that they're making. And the most important thing is that we love the person, and that we that we're able to separate the decisions they're making that we simply don't understand. So we're not really condemning those decisions uh, in a way that would hurt that person. And then making sure that we don't at all condemn the person, that we have nothing but love for them. That's what I would say to priesthood leaders and parents that are dealing with this. And then we need to be working as hard as we can to come to an understanding. We need to be going to the Lord and for guidance, and we need to have our hearts opened up. We need to listen to them and without judging and uh, try and understand uh, um, the feelings that they're feeling, which will help us to be able to understand the decisions that they make, even if we don't completely ever, ever understand them, but it will help us to get closer to it. So that's what the, the message I would give to parents and to priesthood leaders. The message I would give to people that are actually struggling themselves with these kinds of feelings is I would say to them, be patient with your parents and with your priesthood leaders and understand that they don't have the experiences that you've had. They've never felt those feelings and it's going to take some time. And so be patient with them. Sometimes they will say things that hurt you. Sometimes you'll be frustrated because you want them to understand things that they don't. The best way that you can help facilitate that is just with open, honest communication, which will take a lot of patience. Thank you. Mike or Keiko, are you wanting to say anything or you don't You don't need to? Well, I think uh, everything that I would like to say has been said in, in better ways than I can, so... Okay, thank you for being with us tonight. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I'm just um, thrilled uh, at the conversation that we've been able to have, and I'm sure we not we have not been completely, um, you know, we haven't probably covered every single aspect, but I think we've covered a lot, and I just can't thank you all enough for your willingness to um, talk about such a personal and um, important issue in your lives. And I know that these types of um, podcasts can be transformative for people who 
struggle with similar situations and even life-saving because I know that a lot of our LGBT youth and um, adults struggle with you know suicidal thoughts and and just really feeling very marginalized in our in our culture and I think your messages of love and acceptance and um, understanding are just at the core of what Mormon doctrine is about and so thankful for uh, your your very kind and gentle framing of so many important issues. With that said, I'd like to just reach out to my listeners and, um, you know, ask for your support, uh, both through comments, um, sharing information when you can. Um, there's also a great little donate button where your funds are tax deductible and can go towards supporting some of the missions of this podcast. I just wanted to make a few announcements that, um, Mormon mental health, um, is turning into an association. It will not no longer just be a podcast. So we're really working hard on having an association of professionals and educators and advocates who are trained and interested in working with LDS community to further health in many different ways. Uh, this being one of them. And, um, I also want to just throw out there an accountability, um, announcement for myself that I will be trying my darndest to start releasing a weekly podcast instead of my erratic, you know, five times a month, and then you don't hear from me for six months type of style that I've had. (laughs) So bear with me, but I I will try to start releasing on Monday evenings. Um, And just if anybody wants to reach out and, and be of help in any way, shape or form that you feel you're able to do that, please reach out to me. Uh, Hayward family, thank you so much again for being with us tonight, and I wish you the very best as you move forward. Thank you for joining us today on Mormon Mental Health. To discuss this episode, please check us out at mormonmentalhealth.org. To keep the podcast alive, please consider a donation today, again, at mormonmentalhealth.org. Logo was provided by Daniel Singer. Music was generously donated by Lower Lights. Please check them out at thelowerlights.com and thanks for listening over last tempestuous sea chart and compass came from thee Jesus saved